Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. East Coast Creepin' contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Break my Crocs. Hey guys. I give you a five-pointer. Welcome to our podcast, East Coast Creepin'. I'm Linda. I'm Lorraine. And I'm Leslie. (laughs) 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 I'm literally putting that in. You can use that as an Going. We're three sisters from the Baltimore, Maryland, Maryland area. True crime and paranormal activity. <laughs> we are not certified in these areas. Correct. We're just doing this for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My mom reacts. Rate and review. Please. Write your review. <laughs> Shane, come do your impression. Follow of us at ECC the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or at eccthepodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> Where are your glasses at? Your mom. She needs them? Is she quick? Your mom gives life directions. Your mom gives life directions. <laughs> 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 My mom. My mom gives live reactions as we tell stories <laughs> about paranormal activity. <laughs> Don't you have a script? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I do. It's on my phone. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, goodbye. You need to move, woman. I can't. So where are we going? <laughs> oh, shit. shit you're done. We really used okay, that. Hi, everybody. That was Leslie's l- big child. Not the tall. What? That's what you get for being your mother's child. <laughs> what? She's trying to shoot where we're going. That's why it's where broke. Where are we going? You got to call it first. North Carolina. <gasps> nope. Oh, we just went to Georgia. I know. Georgia. Maine. Wrap me up in Oh, do I only get two shots? Do you get as many want? shots as you want. But I only have two bullets. Yeah, pick it up. You just keep giving them back. Uh, we need to buy your mom more. Let me get my Amazon out. You want a new gun? That don't jam? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. No. Does Florida count? Yes. Oh. That's, that's the whole East Coast. But we're not in Florida. Um, New York. Oh. <laughs> There's no water in it. Damn it, Randy! <laughs> but my, my uh, what's it called is in there. <laughs> my cough drop. Ew. 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 I guess New York, I think. She's got, she's gotta be a lady. I'll be in New York. You gotta shoot first. I already did. That was my thing. Oh, I thought you were doing, oh. Yes, yes, we are in New York. Oh! She ain't gonna tell you. She's gonna do one of those things where it's like backtrack through everybody. <laughs> back. Oh god, I hate okay. that episode. Huh? That episode where you went backwards. Oh yeah. yeah Good yeah, evening. Yeah. Welcome to episode eighty-six. Scoot a little bit for your mama. I can't. I'm just gonna be mansplained. Hello, everyone. Hello. Can I get headphones? So, where are they? There's one over to your left. Oh. Are these the right ones? Uh, yes, but we don't have anywhere for her to hook up because then I'd have to put this, I'd have to pull Uh, that out and put that in, remember? No. How we all had our own headphones? No. 
So I'm just listening straight to straight from the mixer. Here. You can just wear them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, today we <clears throat> are going to New York. New York. No, it's Concrete jungle. Where dreams are made of. There's nothing you can't do. Beautiful. Now you're in New York. <laughs> this is how we sing in the car, y'all. Yo, that's how I sing when my husband's in the car. <laughs> and then he's just like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? Yes. Do you already have it broken out into two parts? No, I just have the first part here with me. Okay. So it, it just stops. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's fine. just going to end. All right. This I'm is not even going to say anything. It's just going to stop. Part one. Of part two. one of two. Of who? We're not there yet. But this is part one of two. This is a two-parter. <laughs> if you didn't understand that from when we said this is part one of two. <laughs> All the parts we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a Richard David Falco. How are you going to say we're not there yet? It's literally the first time. <laughs> <laughs> F-A-L-C-O? F-A-L-C-O, yes. Uh, born June 1st, 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. His parents were Elizabeth Betty Broder, and his dad was Joseph Kleinman, I believe. K-L-I-N-E-M-A-N. Broder is B-R-O-D-E-R. I'm hoping that I pronounced that correctly. David was actually, so Elizabeth was married. She was married, I think it said for four years or something like that. And the marriage ended up failing. So after she had divorced, she was seeing a man who was actually married and had his own children, his own family, everything. So when Elizabeth got pregnant, her son was the product of an affair. And mm. it is believed Did that. Talking about Richard is the product of the Richard affair? is product of the affair, yes. Richard's an affair. So it's believed that that Richard's father had told his mother, listen, you keep the kid, you're done. Like, you'll never see me again. You need to get rid of this thing. Like, I want nothing to do with you if you keep them. Right. Okay. Oh, that's rude. So after the baby was born, just a few days after, Richard was put up for adoption by his mother and adopted by a Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz. They ended up switching his first and middle name around. So it was David Richard Berkowitz. And his parents were hardware store owners, like retailers. And they were a little Jewish couple out in, out in New York. New York. It said that Berkowitz had a troubled childhood. That his first memories of his parents telling him that he was adopted was actually saying that his mom had died in childbirth and so his Ooh. dad couldn't take care of him or something to that effect so they adopted him and he was like Ugh. but he was very intelligent and it said that he soon got bored of being in school because it was just i guess not challenging enough for him it said that he was kind of like a little brat uh he was spoiled that but he was also taunted in school for being adopted. And with all of these things kind of going around, him being born in school, stuff like that, it is noted that he had started with with petty larceny and pyromania. Oh, Jesus. In 1967, he's 14 years old, and his adoptive mom actually ends up dying from breast cancer. His father, the relationship between him and his father starts getting really strained just because... I guess his father had a heavier hand than his mom, so he wasn't a huge fan of that. Prior to his mom passing, though, with everything that was going on, he they did seek like mental evaluations. They did seek out a psychologist. Nothing came of it. It wasn't bad enough in school that it, he was ever written up mm-hmm. and that he never got into any actual trouble like there were no arrests or anything like that in 1971 at the age of 17 Berkowitz actually joins the army and he is an m16 shooter his adoptive dad during this time ends up moving to florida and remarries and apparently Berkowitz did not like his stepmom stepmom 
1974, he ends up being honorably discharged from the military. And that's when things kind of start going downhill. He does end up getting a job. I believe he worked a lot of different odd jobs. He ends up getting a job as a postman for the the U.S. Postal Service and Mm. is just kind of like doing his thing but not actually doing his thing. (laughs) He was also a taxi driver. Okay. But again, there were like odd things leading up to that later on. He is actually a postal worker. A murderer? Yeah. (laughs) No, I was like searching through Anchor because it's like, as you were like saying the beginning, I was like, oh my God, this whole thing sounds so familiar. So I don't know if I've watched something on this man. Because like nothing, like once you got to a certain point, I was like, oh, I don't remember any of this. So I was like checking to make sure we hadn't done this before because I was like, why does this sound so familiar? I I've been like, huh? This is definitely not a familiar name. No, the whole like, no, the name wasn't. It was like the story of his life. But then again, I'm sitting here like, it's fucking Linda. They all start the same. <laughs> yeah, they all <laughs> had some I mean, jacked up childhood. Maybe. Somebody in their life dies. Military. They go to military, <laughs> come back dishonorably discharged, acting a fool. But he was honorably discharged. <laughs> he was honorably discharged. Oh shit! He I, wasn't dishonorable. It was honorable discharge fine he he broke the mold (laughs) so because he had so much pent up anger and energy and all of this stuff in 1975 it was his first possible attack from what i've read he wasn't linked to this but everybody believes that it was him it was in new york i don't have the area written down itself but again it's the first possible attack and so it's 1975 and two women were stabbed on christmas eve Oh. The first woman is an unknown woman, never came forward or anything like that, but is believed that it did happen because this was actually at an ice skating rink. But the second person was a Michelle Foreman, and her cuts or stab wounds were so bad that she did end up being hospitalized, but no one was ever caught for the stabbing, so he was never charged. And people are saying that this was the first and only stabbing that he did because mm. it was too physical and was not able to kill either of his victims. Mm. So he was like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. Weak. Yes. So in 1976, Berkowitz decides to visit an old army friend and he's sitting there talking to his friend and he's like, hey, like, I need some things from you. Guys, from you. Can you help me? His Hi. friend is actually, did I say that he's out in Texas? So, okay, so Berkowitz is in New York, goes to visit a friend from the army that lives out in Texas. He's like, hey, I need a couple of things from you. Friend is like, sure, what do you need? He's like, I need a gun. Ah. So friend's like, all right, bet. Like, let's go get one. Because in Texas, you need to at least have just an ID. And so they take your ID, write down your information. He's like, all right. So then they're sitting there in a gun place. He goes, which one do you want? He's like, ooh, that one. (laughs) Right? So... (laughs) Isn't that um, how they all go into gun shops? Uh, I drove up to one once. It scared me, so I left. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, so friend gets in this gun and goes back to New York. They don't like his friend doesn't think anything of it. He's like, all right, bye. I'll see you it's later. It's the seventies. Yeah, July 29th oh, of nineteen seventy six, about one ten a.m. There are two girls named Jody Valenti and Donna Laria. Uh, Jody is 19 and Donna is 18. And they are sitting in a car. I believe that they are coming back from like, it's called a discotheque club, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, and as they're sitting in their car, just talking, whatever, um, three shots are shot into their car. Oh, Lara no. is killed instantly and sh- Jody survived. But she- Laura or Donna? Oh, shit. Laria. I'm sorry. Laria. Donna Laria. So Donna. Okay. Donna is killed instantly, and Jody does end up surviving, but she does not recognize her attacker at all. So people, the cops hear this, and they're like, what the hell? Because they're not used to, especially in New York itself, they aren't used to these things being random attacks. Like, they're like, okay, why are these two women sitting here just randomly attacked? Like, they've done nothing. Mm-hmm. So then, October of that same year, so October 23rd of 1976, a couple is sitting in their car. 
it's Dinero, which is the the male, and then Keenan, which is the female. I didn't write down their first names, and I honestly don't know why. But they're sitting in their car. It, they had just come back from a date. They're talking, hanging out, whatever. And then the couple ends up hearing the glass shattering. They end up driving off, and this is actually Keenan's car, I believe. So they end up driving off to get help. And I want to say that they end up driving to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And when... They get to the hospital, they're being helped, everything like that. They're being talked to, saying, listen, you know, glasses everywhere. We don't know what happened. And De Niro has, like, long hair. It's down to his shoulders. He said that in different in interviews, he said that he was supposed to be leaving for the Army, so this was going to be, like, the last time that he saw his girlfriend kind right. of thing. So his hair was long, and he says he just remembers, like, leaning forward to put his head in his hands, and blood just starts pouring down him. Oh, shit. So because of his hair and his hair being matted from all the blood, it was actually holding all the blood in from where he got shot. And so when he leaned forward, all the blood that was being held there was kind of just running down the front of him. Oh, my gosh. What the hell? Yeah. That's when they realized that he's been shot. Both people did survive, but they did not see their shooter. What? You want this 25 dart drum slam fire official elite foam Nerf gun? It's got a magazine and everything. Oh, pistols. (laughs) <laughs> so the ones underneath of it okay also dual pistols yeah. they have dual yeah i'll look two pistols no if you have anything to say about this shut your mouth no i was just asking what his name was Denaro. okay don't look up anything i'm on amazon looking for nerf guns but i'm listening to you that's why it's taking me so long because i swear to god it sounds so familiar but anyway continue she already looked it up I'm anyway. on Amazon. She's been on Amazon this whole time. <laughs> when she sat there saying that she was checking to see. Nah, she looked that shit up. Checking to see what? Shut your face. I'm talking. November 27th, 1976. Get out of here. You didn't want that one. In Belrose, Queens, there is a 16-year-old Donna DeMasi and an 18-year-old Joanne Lomino. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. But so it's Donna, another Donna, and then Joanne. Mm-hmm. Both of them are sitting on Joanne's front porch. They're just talking, hanging out. Uh, I don't actually have the time of day, but I do know that all of these happened at At night, night. like later end in the night into early morning. So as they're sitting on the front porch talking, they see a guy like walking up the street and then he starts approaching them. They say that he's in army fatigues and he comes up asking for directions, but he's kind of like a high-pitched voice. I think they said that he was kind of stumbling his words, seemed kind of nervous, mm-hmm. but he did have a high-pitched voice. And as he's asking for directions, he just pulls out a gun and starts shooting at them. Oh, oh God. Jesus. And then he ends up leaving. Both girls did end up surviving, but Joanne ends up being paralyzed from her wounds. I think with the bullets that were found they realized that it was a 44 caliber gun there were neighborhood witnesses and because of the neighborhood witnesses they were able to get a composite sketch done Ooh. so then january 30th 1977 what day january 30th okay sorry this is where it's gonna go downhill everybody Uh It's okay. I only accidentally switched two days, and now I don't know where the continuation from the next page is supposed to go. It's okay. We'll figure it out together. So January 30th, there is a couple, Christine, oh, God, F-R-E-U-N-D. She is 26 years old, 26 years old, and John Deal, who's 30. This is an engaged couple, and they're in Queens as well. Christine and John are sitting in the car, and then out of nowhere, they just hear shots ringing out. They freak out and I believe drive off. Mm-hmm. Deal or John had minor injuries to himself, but Christine ends up dying at the hospital. Oh. After that had happened, the police come out. The police see the bullets. They make a connection because they believe that it is the same 44 caliber, but the bullets from the Donna Joanne, right. I think, were so altered from being shot that they couldn't make a positive identification from like what gun that it was coming from like marks or whatever like how they get marks in the barrel yeah yeah but i think it's just such a high caliber high caliber that the impact of them just mutated the bullets itself oh 
the police make a connection and they publicly announce it that it is a 44 caliber gun and that the person who is going around targeting people they're targeting young women with long dark wavy hair okay so hold on gotta go to my book for this because i highlighted it so there ends up being yeah whatever we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> <laughs> let me get my book close this book immediately. <laughs> never mind <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah. No, so a composite sketch en- does end up being released for this. Where are these people? Okay, so then. Whatever. I don't screw that book. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? So that's January 30th of 1977. March 8th, 1977. There's a Virginia, and I cannot pronounce her last name, but it's spelled V-O-S-K-E-R. I-C-H-I-A-N. She is 19 years old, and she is a Columbia University student. She lives close by. She is on her way home, and as she's walking home, she is actually shot multiple times, and she dies from her injuries. Is this one? Yeah, I think that it said that the guy had, like, walked up to her, walked, saw her face to face. She saw him pull out the gun because of the way that the crime scene was. Mm -hmm. She had actually lifted her book up to shield her face, and he shot her right in the face, and the bullet went through her book and, like, lodged into her head. Oh, shit. You're letting your daughter sit in here for this? (laughs) (laughs) So... Believe me. She... she, This girl freaking watched Shameless. (laughs) This is not gonna bother her. Yeah, so it says that at... When that there were neighborhood witnesses for this as well, they were able to get cons- composite sketches as or with this, and neighbors saw two different people running from the crime scene. They had said that there was one teenage boy and one like guy I, in his twenties running from the scene. So they didn't know at the time if these were suspects, if they were just witnesses, but they started looking for them. Anyways. <laughs> her in her book <laughs> <laughs> so then April 17th what? 1977 there's Alexander E-S-A-U Esau who is 20 and Valentina Suriani who is 18 that they live in the Bronx I believe they were sitting in their car at the time and each one of them was shot twice they both ended up dying, and this is the first time that there had been any communication from the killer himself, mm. and there was actually a handwritten letter to the captain of the New York Police Department. Would you like me to read you the letter? Um, yes. Run, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. Because you're a bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> so... I'm sorry. Uh, Valentina had died at the scene, and then Alexander ended up dying several hours later, it says, in the hospital, but he was not able to tell, like, describe his attacker to the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were in the car. So this is where Lorraine's going to figure out who this person is. Hold on, let me order this Nerf gun real quick. I was trying to find something to bop up my order by a dollar, but fuck that. Hold on. I know what you... What? No, just tell me. This is the skin of a Bella. Oh, I mean, I'll send no, it to you. This I'll is send not it, the I'll skin s- of a Bella. This is the skin of a killer Bella. I'll um, send it to you. I'll, I'll send it to you. Oh, wait, never mind. Well, I mean, yes, also, but I also am going to buy something for us because I just remember that I put it on my list for all of us because it's funny. I'm getting us all of this bumper sticker. Oh, God. I don't put bumper stickers on my it's, car. You don't have to. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Watch your daughter's face. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Bella! Where you been, Loka? <laughs> He's so ugly with his llama neck. <laughs> He's such an awkward face in this show. Movie. Thing. Cute. <laughs> Have you shown your Aunt Linda this fucking shirt? Mm-mm. Okay, so this is the first letter from... The serial killer, which previous to this was dubbed the 44 caliber killer. Okay. Hachika! That's all you had to say. But anyway, continue. Read. 
Did you not get it when I said that it was a 44 caliber gun? I kind of did because I was like, man, <laughs> the 44 caliber killer. And I was like, no, no, no. Let's just let's let Luna read. Shut up. Exactly. I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained. Just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all policed. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot to earth, sonny boy. I don't know. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to say it. But anyway, he don't write very well, I have to tell you that. <laughs> I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa, Mr. Borelli, sir. I don't want to kill any more, no, sir. No more, but I must. Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's, to the people of Queens, I love you. And I will want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and to the next. And for now, I say goodbye and goodnight. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh, yours isn't murder, Mr. Monster. Jesus. This guy is freaking psycho. Yes. He is the son of Sam. And you know who Sam is? Mm -hmm. Your uncle. Oh. No. Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam. <laughs> no. You'll find out in a minute who Sam is. Sam ain't his daddy because his daddy name is Joe. <laughs> so after they get this letter, a psychological profile ends up being made, and they believe that the person doing these shootings is a paranoid schizophrenic who is also neurotic and believed to be and the person believes to be possessed by demons. Police or police go because of obviously the bullets recovered from the scenes and they track down all the 44 caliber bulldog revolvers in new york city he didn't get his from new york exactly and after this because they want to find out the, they want to find the killer they're trying to track him down they're trying to do anything possible so they decide to do an undercover sting all over like bronx queens mm -hmm. everything like that and they start putting cops putting them in wigs, dressing them as women and men, as couples, and they put them in cars, just leaving them out there in the middle of the night to see if he comes out and shoots them. But that doesn't bring anything whatsoever. They're, like, trying to lure him out, and it just doesn't happen. So then, May 30th, 1977, another letter comes in, but it's actually to a columnist that has been writing about the Son of Sam or the 44 caliber killer. I don't feel like reading that one, but it is a little bit lengthier, well, it's not it's not longer than that one, but he makes a lot of references to the people. Uh, the opening line is, Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Yeah. Hello from the sewers of New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Sweepers. So it's just stuff like that. He's talking about him going out again, doing all these great things. I think in their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. Uh, 44, here are some names to help you along for them to the inspector for use by the NCIC. So they said that there were like two pages to the letter and then the second page to the letter because it talks about the NCIC that they didn't publish that. They just published the first part of the letter. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working this lane to remain. P.S. J.B., please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. He's just playing with them now. Oh, 
So then, that's that, right? Right. So then, Ew. June 26th, 1977, Bayside, Queens, New York. There's a Sal Lupo and a Jer- Judy Placido. Sal is 20 and Judy is 17. They are sitting in the car and they end up hearing three gunshots. It doesn't say that they drove away. Some people, like, when the shots would happen, they'd start screaming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, like, one couple, I know I don't have this written down, but, like, started blaring their horn or something to kind of get attention for other people. But there were three gunshots shot into the car. Both ended up surviving with minor injuries, and they did not see their attacker, but there were also neighborhood witnesses. And at this time, they were still looking for the teenage boy from the previous attack mm-hmm. and looking for the other male that they that was talked about on july 31st 1977 in brooklyn new york there's a stacy moskowitz which is 19 and robert violente which is 20 they were sitting in robert's car and a guy walks up to the passenger window and ends up shooting into the car uh stacy ends up dying at the hospital later and like okay so i was watching this one thing and it said that robert had non-life-threatening injuries Mm -hmm. but then i was watching another thing right and i'm like okay (laughs) i didn't mean like i don't mean to laugh and i didn't mean to laugh when i heard it but there was like i watched a police report from the time that this happened not a police report uh, a news broadcast from when this had happened Okay, so it happened. They're sitting there talking about this couple in the car and all that stuff. And it said that Stacy had died at the hospital. And so they're like, oh, blah, 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 has died at the hospital. And then Robert, injuries were satisfactory. I'm like, first off, how are you going to talk about somebody like that? How are you going to say their injuries are satisfactory? Like, (laughs) if that were me, I would be offended. The man was shot. Yes. He was shot good. And then... Satisfactorily. Yes. And I'm saying, like shot yes he was shot okay he ends up losing one of his eyes oh and he's half blind in the other one so to tell me his injuries are non-life-threatening or satisfactory are you kidding me right now i was like like i because then i if a bullet is in my body it better be called life-threatening well i mean not necessarily because it could be like go through your arm but what if it was so close arm. to my artery and then if they try and take the bullet out and they slip <laughs> there i go but that's but that's not different. death by the bullet though based on my life is being threatened <laughs> <laughs> they i yeah uh that's why i was just like i don't understand how like i i get that like apparently they said that his life wasn't in peril like he didn't like i i but to me, you know, it went through his eye. Yeah. That's a pretty big life-changing thing. He lost his Ooh, one eye, sorry. and he's, like, half-blind in his other eye. So I feel that that's a little bit, like, saying that his injuries were satisfactory, like, I don't know. That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's literally no other way to describe that but rude. Right? <laughs> So, again, there are neighborhood witnesses. They do end up getting composite sketches. And the thing about all of this ends up being that the fact that each composite sketch is a little different. The neighborhood witnesses end up telling the cops at this scene that it looks like the assailant was actually wearing a wig, which then police turn around and say, well, that makes sense why these people say, oh, well, this one, it looked like a guy was having blonde hair. This Mm -hmm. one, the guy's hair might have been a little bit longer. Like, that's... So they're like, that's probably why. Um, <laughs> it's just really Ew. <laughs> 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 um, what was that noise? I don't know. I'm trying to get myself not to. I'm trying to make myself not gag for the people. Oh, I oh my didn't God. have time for a trigger warning. Some some other some other witnesses say that they saw a yellow car with the headlights off driving away from the scene, and I want to say that at different, uh, like when what are they called? I don't know. I can't think of it. Basically, at different shootings and stuff like that, uh, people had also previously seen a yellow car, and 
there were others who had gotten a partial license plate, but the partial license plate I did not get from any of this. So, but anyways, so they're looking into that. They did have a list of people that they were looking into because of the car and all of that mm-hmm. stuff for the area. So Berkowitz was on this list of people, but it was like he was so far down the list at this time. There was a lady who said that they had seen a man who received a parking ticket that looked very frustrated after he had received the parking ticket. and she, <laughs> But she did not come forward with this information until four days after. Mm-hmm. The shooting had happened. She said that she was kind of like scared, shaken up, whatever, because of everything that was happening. So then that's why she ended up coming forward later. So then police go through. They start looking at people who are in that area who got parking tickets at the time. And that's when they see Berkowitz's name come up again. But because of all this, the police think that Berkowitz is actually a witness and not the perpetrator. So they just want to get his information. They want to talk to him. So the people in Bronx and all that stuff finally find the ticket, find out, you know, who wrote it, get the license plate and everything like that. So the police department over here ends up calling Yonkers, where uh, Berkowitz lives. And when they call over to the Yonkers police department, they get a hold of a lady, the secretary or receptionist, of the police department over in Yonkers, and they're like, hey, we want to, you know, get some information on Dave Berkowitz. Like, can you help us? So the lady's name is actually Wheat Carr. Wheat? Wheat Carr. Okay. And she tells them, oh, my God, you guys are finally calling me back. Like, something along those lines. And they're like, what are you talking about? She's like, I have been sitting here calling you guys about my neighbor. I think this, this, and this, whatever. He's, like, been causing a lot of problems. And so they're like, well, no, we want to. And by this point, they're like, we want to talk to just Dave. Like his car was at the scene. And she's like, no, you guys don't understand. He's not a witness. He is your killer. Like he is my neighbor. He has been threatening us via like letters. He has been sitting here saying things about my dad, Sam Carr. And he has been threatening to kill our dog. And he's actually shot our dog. Whoa. So Sam is the guy that he's been talking about in the letters? He, in the letters itself, he sits there and he says that the son of Sam, he later later makes references to the son of Sam, like it being uh, Sam Carr. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll get into that okay. in a minute. But yeah, Sam Carr is who he ends up saying that he's referring to. Mm-hmm. And so she says that she has these letters from Dave, who is her neighbor, who says that the dog is barking all night long and that he just kind of wants to end the dog's life. So when she sees the letters that they have printed in the news from the son of Sam and Mm -hmm. she has these letters at home from her neighbor, Dave Berkowitz, she's like, holy shit, it's the same handwriting. It's identical. It's big letters. Like everything he writes is in all caps or the cursive is exactly the same. So she's like, no, this is him. So then she tells them so that she happens been... to be working at the police department that they are talking. And oh she's been telling God. and she's been telling all the other people this all the time. Like, no, like this guy That's is crazy. crazy. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. And so she was like, finally, you know, these people. And she's like, no, this is it. like you have to believe me. And they're like, oh, shit. OK. You think with her working there, like someone would have taken her a little bit more seriously. seriously yeah. You I think it's only because he threatened the dog and not them. Yeah, because they were just like, oh, like, it's fine. Nothing's going to happen. But then Sam ends up going. I think, like, he ends up having to take his dog to, like, get looked at because his dog ended up getting shot in the leg. Right. Yeah. And so he, like, files a complaint against his neighbor, like, my neighbor shot my dog. And they're like, well, let's figure this out. Ah, I lost my page. Oh, here we go. After they gather all of this information, they decide that they're going to try and go stake out Dave Berkowitz, right? So on August 10th, 1977, and I kind of feel like I'm missing a lot in the in-betweens, but I'm not 100% sure. That's for next week. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, but a lot of it does tie into what I want to talk about for the part two. Yeah. Yes, it 100% does. (laughs) So like people, if you're frustrated with me, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to like... 60%. She knows what she's doing. I just give it... (laughs) I gave it 71.3%. Okay. <laughs> That's a better percentage. Exactly. So on August 10th, 1977, the police go to do surveillance for Dave, Dave Berkowitz. They end up seeing his car, 
which is a yellow whatever, but it's the car that they're looking for, okay? <laughs> Match license plate, everything like that. When they look into Dave's car, they see that there is actually a rifle in the back seat. It's not the gun that they're looking for, but they do see that there's a rifle. They do end up seeing, finding like a duffel bag or something like that, which it's said in some things that they had actually searched the car before they even had a search warrant because of the gun in the back seat. But in New York, it technically wasn't considered probable cause because you could have those things that was considered legal. Okay. But they find a duffel bag with ammunition, maps of crime scenes, and an unsent letter up from the son of Sam. So the police end up seeing the car, they find the rifle in the back seat, and they don't move forward. They don't want to go into the apartment complex that he's living in because they don't want to be stuck in the hallway, get into an altercation with him. Obviously, he's shooting up people, so they're like, yeah, this isn't yeah. the gun we're looking for. He could have the other gun inside the house. We don't want to get a shootout in an apartment. Too many casualties. Could possibly be. So the police decide to wait for Berkowitz to come outside. They're sitting outside. He ends up walking out of his apartment. I think they say around like 10 o'clock or something like that p.m. Again, I feel like it was at night. I did not write down the time for that. But it, they, they, they're sitting there waiting and he does end up walking out of his apartment complex. And so they still had not received the search warrant yet mm -hmm. at the time. But they see him. He walks and gets into his car. They see a bag in his hand. And so he gets into his car. The police, like, the two arresting officers, one is at the driver's seat, one is at the passenger seat, and they say something along the lines of, like, you're under arrest. And he's like, oh, well, now you've got me. And they're That's like... It? Yeah, and he... Well, it was, it was like... He was like, well, you've got me now. And they're like, like, what do you mean? And he was like... Uh, you know who I am and they're like no we don't like you need to say it out loud and so he's like oh no you know and they're like no we don't know like, <laughs> and so then he goes I'm the son of Sam Dave Berkowitz or something like that okay and they're like so he confirmed yeah who he was, so yeah, yeah. So there's something when, called remain silent you do have oh, the no. right to he lawyer. wanted to be caught <laughs> remember they're gonna get yeah I know so oh. so he sat there after that they end up finding the bag that he had in his hand did have the revolver in it. So the brown bag that was in his hand mm -hmm. had the revolver in it. They they find the letters and stuff like that. And then they go into his apartment where they end up searching his apartment for stuff. And they found a diary in his apartment that actually links him to 1,488 fires that had started that he had meticulously documented in his diaries. What? Shit. And those all happened prior to his killing spree. So wow. once he started his killing spree, he stopped with the the fires. Basically, all of them in the surrounding area, they could link to him because right. he wrote all about them. The yeah. addresses, what he was doing, and all that stuff. So some people are saying that it was for sexual gratification, you know, but whatever. I don't think that they actually got him for any of the arson, though, because they went after him for the killings, which mm -hmm. is going to be more... But prior to him being arrested, they did talk with his job, and they did say that he was a bit of a nutcase. They say he was a little cray-cray. So, and yeah, so then they had Sam Carr's testimony. They had witnesses saying that they saw his car at the scene of the crime. So that was awesome. And then the next day, the police end up interviewing him. So this is August 11th, 1977. And 30 minutes into the interview, he ends up confessing. He's like, yeah, I did it. I did all of them. Like, all the shootings that you're telling me about, I did all of them. He ends up telling the police in this interview that his neighbor's dog would actually talk to him and tell him to go out and kill people. And what? this is how he got the son of Sam. Yeah. And so he tells the he tells the police officers or the detectives that Sam, in the letters, was his former neighbor, Sam Carr. Mm -hmm. And that Harvey, Sam's dog... The black was a black lab who was possessed by an ancient demon. Okay, an ancient demon. Ancient. ancient. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard ancient, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Ancient. And then I was like, in my head, imagining this ancient demon, and I was like, "Yeah, it wasn't going well." <laughs> oh well, my God. It was almost like the tree lady from the last unicorn, but with chins instead of boobies oh well. lord 
1977, <laughs> September 19th, 1977, the police finally allow Berkowitz to talk to the media. And he ends up writing a letter to them saying that there were possible accomplices to this and that this was all part of a satanic cult and these were actual rituals for that cult. So all of these killings were part of satanic rituals that a whole bunch of people were See, in. my whole thing, like, when people started saying, like, when I've heard about it and people... Were... This is not the time. That's part two. Oh. And now you shut up. Okay. Okay. Fine. This is this is why I was gonna say I'm gonna give a little bit of that, and then and then th- that's part two because it's a whole conspiracy theory surrounding the fact that he is either part of an occult or like does satanic rituals and murders that they cannot link to him because of the cult, the occult. Okay. Which is gonna be part two because there's a lot of that, which I wanted to do during Halloween. But things just happen where I couldn't do them during Halloween. So this is why it took this long to get here. Okay. And you still don't have part two ready. Boom. <laughs> it's at home. No, because I was going to do, I had one murder for part, for back October because it happened on October 30, like it happened on Halloween. Yeah. That's what they all did. So because I was like, I've had this one. And I was like, well, since I'm not doing that one by itself anymore, because I'm not right. waiting till uh, next Halloween to okay. do it, I have to get all of the murders, which were like eight more together. Okay. And then how it intertwines into him or the people. Exactly. So on May 8th, 1978, Berkowitz ends up pleading guilty to all of the shootings. And this is after the courts require three different mental exams and he ends up being deemed competent for trial. Oh. So he goes to trial and he pleads guilty to all of the shootings. And it said that he actually met with a lady who, I forget what she was, but basically like he said that he would need to meet with someone of the church so this lady comes in talks to him he asks her questions she talks to the lord lord talks back to her she's like blah 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 blah. and so then he comes out of that meeting with her and the person's like he just looked like a new man and he's like i'm gonna plead guilty <laughs> i'm sorry <clears throat> yep. oh, i'm sorry <clears throat> two weeks later Okay, he has his hearing trial, or he has, yeah, he has his hearing trial. No. Yes. So at that trial, he attempts to jump out of the seventh floor courtroom window, and people go apeshit. Okay, Ted Bundy. (laughs) He starts, when he is brought back down, he is restrained. He starts yelling obscenities about his last victim, Stacy. And people, and so the judge ends up sitting there looking at him like, no, he needs another evaluation. Like, I need to make sure that this man can be held, like, competent, like, that in court. Like, that, you know, done. Done, 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 done. Which, he is found competent, and they do take... For a second time? Yeah. No, for a fourth time. Fourth. Oh, shit. Because he had three different evaluations, and they all said, yeah, for the first go-around, and then this was his fourth one. So... He, yeah, he is found competent and all this stuff. And then June 12, 1978, Berkowitz is sentenced to 25 to life for each murder. Oh. And he is and he is to serve them consecutively. Damn. Because he pled guilty on some of the things cuz some places are like, "Oh no, like he he can't be paroled whatever." But because he pled guilty, that makes him eligible for parole after 25 years. Jesus Christ. It's been over 25 years, though. No shit. 1978. I know. <laughs> so he's still there. Yes. But he has to go for appeals and, like, hearings and stuff like that. You don't just get let free. He's still alive? You have... <laughs> yes. What? Yes. <laughs> he's still doing interviews and stuff like that. What? <laughs> <laughs> In February of 1979, he comes out in an interview and says that the possession claims were an actual hoax and that none of it was real. That he was just saying that because he could. Because he could. Yeah. 
My God, ew, why are you pinching me with your toes, you weirdo? Why are you doing that, Mom? Jeez. And then, again, in 1977, um, there was an attempt on his life while he was in jail, and he was actually slit in the throat from front to back. Ay, ay, ay. Um, and he survived? Yeah. It took, it, took, <laughs> it took 50 stitches to close up his wound, and he would not give up the name of his Whoa. attacker. He said, Gloria Trainer, take notes. And, <laughs> and when asked like what he felt about it and all this stuff, he was like, it's what I deserved. Like after everything that I did, like that's the least is, of it. Yeah. No, literally that's what he said. He was like, this is like, like I'm trying to make myself better, but for these things to happen to me, like I can't really be mad about it. It's karma. Like, I'm in jail. I'm gonna get shanked every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. I kill some people, you know, Yes. So cut my life into pieces. <laughs> so with this being part. That's the first bad word. She, I, I was going to say. Mom. I got smacked She so can't hard. say the bad word. The bad, bad word. She can. I'm giving her permission. She's scared. I ain't never scared. Yeah, yeah, my mom scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that is, like, the general story. I don't want to say general, but that is, like, his known victims. And I believe that they're supposed to... If he's done, like, 1,500 arson cases... Yeah. Like, and he's already done this many killings, like... What's he doing between March and April? Well, and that's everything, the, and that's the thing because, like they said, that all of it was documented in diaries from like I think when he said I don't, I okay. didn't say anything about the killings. It just said about the arsons, but that it was like from when he was a teenager up until that point, kind of thing. Right. So he had like diaries upon diaries of this stuff. It was again, we'll talk about it in length in part two, but he had different interviews there. He came out and he would give information to things that had not yet happened. Oh. Huh? While he was in jail. Oh. And that's why, again, I want to go into depth into part two because so much happened when him saying that he was a part of the occult, that these were all satanic rituals, that things would happen on certain days, that there were killings that he would, like, know about, but he couldn't be tied to because he was in jail. So it wasn't him. So that's why I'm saying, like, Mm. there's, like, whole conspiracy theories, and they end up doing a second investigation on all of these shootings, and they end up uh, deeming it, like, inconclusive because they can't really put all of these things. Well, they it's they're redoing the investigation of the shootings that he was because they're, like, there's so many things that kind of don't fit but do. Mm -hmm. But they're, like we place him at all of these places at this time again parking ticket you know witnesses stuff like that but with the hair changing and if you look at the composite sketches there's different facial structures so they a lot of people believe he wasn't that these are actually alone. different people now yeah but they're all part of this occult hot damn yeah so Thank you for joining us for part one of David Berkowitz, a.k.a. Son of Sam, a.k.a. 44 caliber revolver killer. A.k.a. Where did Falco come from? Falco? Yeah, he called him Falco. That's his birth name. So Falco. His his mom or his Falco is his mom's ex-husband's name. So she gave him his, her ex-husband's name, even though they weren't together because she can't call him. The The actual dad, Uh, Kleinman's name, because he was like, if you make this kid anything about me, you're done. Right. Like, well, she was done anyways. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Now, like the whole notebook thing, it reminds me, I've been watching this show. I've been watching it for a while, but I like got back into it. Uh, Signs of a Psychopath. Mm -hmm. And then like literally every episode is like in his notebook in their notebook and then they've got like notebooks and notebooks this one i was talking to mothman i was like his handwriting so nice it was like gorgeous and he had these pretty pictures okay they weren't pretty pictures a lot of shit was like people dying but yeah. still it was artistically satisfactory <laughs> oh my god 
<laughs> but, oh yeah so i don't think i mentioned that at all there was a there was a point i want to say oh obviously it was after he got out of the army and all of that stuff and his dad had remarried and everything like that he had actually met up with his birth mother and was able to talk to her so he found her after his real mom had passed away he had come back from the army he finds her and she's like oh well actually yeah duh i'm alive not dead um, yet but this is why i gave you up for adoption and he's like the foot so then <laughs> that happens and that's why they believe that he goes after the people that he goes after because it's in reference to his mom and birth dad like his bio parents right and he's promiscuity sitting, well and he sits there and his mm, dad i don't know but one of them was italian one of them was jewish and that was his birth parents so when he found that out he started going after italian jewish people in mm. that area so they were either italian they were jewish or both and so that's why he would go for women with longer dark, hair long wavy hair and that's why the one guy was shot because he saw the hair saw the back of his head and just assumed that he was a woman yeah Bro, you should have got that haircut sooner. <laughs> well, a lot of people ended up doing that. When they came out with that, saying that this is what he's going after, a mm -hmm. lot of women went out, bleached their hair, chopped all their hair off, did not want to be associated with it, and his last victim ended up being a blonde female. Yep. Mm -hmm. Crazy stuff. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Uh -huh. Can't hear that. It's too loud. Crazy stuff. <laughs> Yeah, when you said Berkowitz, I was just like, all oh, this sounds so familiar. Then I was like, bitch, we in New York. They all Berkowitz. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was just like, we in Queens. It's all some Italian, like long Jewish last name. I was like, it's all the same to me. <laughs> I was like, mm, the mob. They all got the last names like that. And then Falco, I was like, mob. <laughs> oh, yo. The other day, I hit my depression stick. I think I hit it a little too hard, but considering I couldn't go to work, I was like, mm, fine, whatever, right? I'm laying there in bed, falling asleep, listening to something. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, my lungs hurt. And then I was just like, oh. I think I was holding my breath for legitimately like two minutes. And then it was just like, oh, why they burn like that? <laughs> oh, wait, I gotta breathe. <laughs> I told Mothman the next yes. day. And he was just like, why? Why do you do these things? <laughs> what the heck? Ew. Well, I can't find missing people. Hold on. I still have your clown. Oh, Perry the platypus. He looks kind of like Perry, Perry, Perry. <laughs> Angry, Angry bullet guy. <laughs> I still have the clown. I'm going to get tattooed on me. Hmm. It seems like, I don't know. Like the last one that I found is from 2008. And I don't know if they just don't know how to like okay. sort these or what. Patrick K. Alford, a Hispanic male born November 28th, 2002. Four foot eight and sixty-five pounds. He has brown eyes and a scar on his left eyebrow. He was last seen January twenty-second, two thousand ten, at nine p.m. at one hundred and thirtieth Van Vandalia Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Patrick K. Alford was last seen wearing a red T-shirt, blue jeans, blue and black Jordan sneakers. If you have any information, please call New York City Police Department, One Police Plaza, New York, New York, six four six. 739-0144 or email the information to nysvicap at troopers.ny.gov hmm. You raped me? Thank you. Yeah. So that's all I have. Ew. Well, that's not all I have, but again, we're going to do a part two to this. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Kumka. Kumka. Read the thing. Um... Thank you for listening to our podcast, East Coast Creeping. Follow us at ECC The Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Linktree, 
and Patreon. <laughs> you can also go to our website, eccthepodcast.com. Rate and review. Please rate and re- review on Spotify. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Said that one. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Anyways, thank you, Kumka, for joining us. Thank you. For the intro and the outro. Thank you, Betty. And that nasty booger in the middle there. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> Anyways, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, I love you. Bye. Oh, I guess because your child spoke for you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to East Coast Creepin'. Cover art by Leslie Lozano. Music from Premium Beat. Editing by Larry Bark at Revitalist Recording Studio. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ECC The Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review. See ya.